0: You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com.
1: Hey, Eva, my trusty sidekick and rock star production manager holly why thank you what a lovely intro it's almost as if i wrote it myself that's because you did do you remember that time we watched my blowjob video on my la porn life you mean on our super secret side podcast my la porn life that only patreon members have access to that's the one i mean it still gives me nightmares so yeah and for as low as five bucks a month you can have nightmares too you say nightmare the world says dream come true I mean, to be fair, the perks that come with your Patreon membership are a dream. That is true. You get free art books, t-shirts, mugs, signed photos of podcast guests, and early live access to all of my podcasts weeks before their release. So if you want to help support Holly Randall Unfiltered, indulge in some super secret podcast hilarity, and get really cool gifts sent right to your door, head over to patreon.com slash hollyrandallunfiltered and pick the tier that's right for you. Literally for the price of a mediocre coffee, you get monthly access to all these awesome things. Once again, that's www.patreon.com slash hollyrandallunfiltered. See you on the other side. Hi. I'm Holly Randall, and welcome to my podcast, Holly Randall Unfiltered. This is a show about sex, the adult industry, and the people in it. I'm a 21-year veteran of this fascinating little industry, and as the eldest child of the trailblazing erotic photographer Suze Randall, you could say I grew up in it. So forget everything you think you know about porn, because this show is going to change your mind. My guests are some of the biggest names in the industry, and we unabashedly reveal the real behind the scenes stories the funny, the inspiring, the tragic, and the bizarre. Everyone has an opinion about sex work, but few people actually listen to the sex workers. So sit back and prepare yourself for a podcast which is honest, raw, and unfiltered. Today's guest is Carter Cruz. She's a very popular porn star turned DJ. And yes, people, even with my limited knowledge of EDM music, I can tell you that she's in fact really good. Carter is no longer performing in porn. She's focusing on her music career, but that doesn't mean that she's turned her back on the adult industry or isn't still active on social media, voicing her support for sex workers. In fact, it was Carter's measured and intelligent response to the recent Mia Khalifa controversy that reminded me that she was on my list of I want to have on my podcast guests, and that this would be a good time for me to ask her if she might be interested in coming on. Luckily for you and for me, she said yes. So among all the other topics that we delve into, quarantine, her music career, etc., I obviously have to ask her about her opinion on Mia Khalifa and adult stars in general, who go to the media with these exploitation stories about their porn careers and how it ruined their lives. So this takes us into a conversation about the many sides of the porn industry, how it can be exploitative, regretful, or even trauma-inducing, but how it can also give women confidence, financial and sexual freedom, and a whole new lease on life. Like many things in life, the adult industry is not all black and white. And Carter and I discuss its many shades of gray, acknowledging that everyone's experiences are different and everyone's story has a place in the porn narrative. So let's welcome Carter Cruz to Holly Randall Unfiltered. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Holly Randall Unfiltered. Today I have adult actress, porn star, and all-around fucking badass Carter Cruz on. Carter, how are you?
0: I'm doing fucking great, considering I haven't left my house in four months. So
1: (laughs) So how seriously are you taking quarantine? Have you really like, have you gone to the grocery store at all? Are you ordering everything?
0: Uh, I've gone to the grocery store mainly because there was no ordering available. I always order my groceries, but all that stuff was like, especially in the beginning, you couldn't. Yeah. Like no, everything you couldn't. was, yeah, I it was crazy. like, oh, you want your groceries in like three weeks? I'm like, I need to eat before that. Yeah. So um, yeah, but we've been taking it pretty seriously. Uh, we have someone in my house who's high risk. So mm-hmm. it's we're taking it much more seriously than a lot of my friends, uh, which has kind of been interesting because- But I think the majority of the people that I hang out with are taking it relatively seriously. If they are going out and seeing some people, they're getting tested uh, regularly. So, but it's just been, it's been weird. I mean, I travel all the time and I'm constantly meeting new people. And the last four months, I've only left my house to go to the grocery store, like maybe a CVS run, (laughs) Um, go on a walk. That's pretty much the only thing I've done. I did record um a virtual DJ set for a festival and I went somewhere for that it was outside but I immediately felt there was probably 10 people there and it was outside and I just instantly felt so anxious like you know Mm. I was like oh my god like everyone's wearing masks and everything but I was just like oh like can you stand (laughs) over there yeah (laughs)
1: you know yeah
0: because, I mean, I don't think I would necessarily die if I got COVID, but I don't want to spend two weeks in a hospital on a ventilator. And I feel like there's not enough evidence that that wouldn't happen to me. And I just would rather not risk it. <laughs>
1: it's such I mean, it's, it's such a strange disease because it affects everybody so differently. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, now they're starting to see, like, even if you weren't, seriously ill complications that last well past the right. time that you've recovered. Um, like for example, my mother-in-law got it and she's a nurse. And so they test regularly and she's COVID patients in her ward and she found out that she had it. She never had a single symptom ever. She was fully
0: asymptomatic,
1: fully asymptomatic, yeah. quarantined anyways. Um, and she didn't give it to anybody in her house, thankfully. But yeah, and then I have another friend whose mom is dying from it. She's had right. two strokes from it. And she was in, you know, rel- these are both, both these women are around the same age, both in relatively like the same health and completely different effects.
0: Yeah, it's totally different. My, um, my roommate was just telling me, like right before we jumped on here, that I guess basically there's so many factors. Like, one thing is that, you know, the flu and viruses that are similar. Basically, like, when you get those things, they build up antibodies in your system. Mm -hmm. So, like, based on the area you live in, what kind of things you've been exposed to, that's one of the things that can really influence how bad it affects you. And you really don't know until you get it. You know, there's no, like, oh, well, because you might have had a strain – of flu or something that was like similar enough, I guess that, you know, now your body's a little stronger to fight against it, but there's no way of knowing that until you mm-hmm. get it. And, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, it's, want- uh, <laughs> it's really
1: scary. And, um, we know so little about it. And I, I did, um, I did an interview for KCRW a couple of days ago, which I was so excited about. Yeah, I know. It's so funny because like all of my more, um, I don't want to say intellectual friends, but I don't know, maybe people who are more happen to listen to KCRW and NPR as opposed to, I don't know, K-Rock. Um, they were really excited. And I like posted it on Twitter because I was like, oh, this is so exciting. And like, no one cared. I was like,
0: no. oh, no,
1: <laughs> I didn't see it. I would have cared. Okay. <laughs> all right. Porn, porn Twitter doesn't care about me being on KCRW. It's <laughs> I care. That's all that matters. Uh, But they asked me, they they had me and my mom on, and what they wanted to do was talk about the difference between, like, the AIDS pandemic when that broke out and and this pandemic. Well, I guess the AIDS wasn't really a pandemic, but, you know, the AIDS outbreak, I mean, and how scary that was and how that affected the adult industry. And then um, the coronavirus pandemic and how that's affecting the adult industry. And it was really interesting to kind of talk about how, like, in those early days, you know, this one big similarity is that we knew so little about the disease. Right. You know, because at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, they thought that like you could like get it from kissing and you know, people <laughs> would like, touch other people with HIV. And obviously now we know that's not the case. And now even if you get it, though obviously nobody wants it. Like you can still, you know, take medication and live a long life. Right. But so it's just like it's just that that scary uncertainty and unknowing of how you know, you are going to be able to manage a disease. And this one's even worse because it's transmittable via the air, you know, right. and
0: that's like, yeah. what's so terrifying. <laughs> much more easy to catch. Yeah. Like, like yeah. HIV is pretty, you know, difficult. Like you could have sex with someone with HIV and not get it, you know? So it's right. like, there's a lot less likelihood. And then I know like with COVID, I've seen like, some people who were like, I have been wearing a mask everywhere. I've only seen four people and I got it. And it's like, that's crazy. Like, you know, so it's like, and you you feel a little bit crazy, you know, just like at the beginning I was like, we go to the grocery store and I would wash everything. You know, I had these little Clorox wipes. I would wipe down all the packaging. I washed all everything, you know, just that I could. And, you know, it was constantly like anytime someone got food delivery or something, I was wiping down the outside of the packaging, like disposing of it. And it was like, this is like a lot, you know? And then I think that there was kind of some evidence that maybe touching things isn't as common of passing as actually someone breathing on you. So I kind of relaxed that a little bit. You know, I still, certain things I'm like a little bit more careful about, but it's just weird because, and you have so many people that are just responding to it differently. Like I have some friends that are literally flying places, they're going to parties, they're they're living their normal life. And then mine has been completely different. So it's just very odd because I think no one knows what to do. And I think for me, I just rather err on the side of caution. And I'm lucky enough that I like I can do that. I feel like some people absolutely can't. And I mean, if I was living alone, oh my god, like 2 years ago, I was living alone in my place in Hollywood, which I loved, cute little place, but had no AC. I had those like window AC units and I travel a lot. So it's fine. You know, you're not really there too much. But I was just thinking the other day, like if I had been trapped in that apartment by myself, like I'd be losing my mind and I'd be like, I don't care. Like I'm going to go out into the world. I have to, but I'm in a really good situation now. I have, you know, four roommates and we have a pool we're in the suburbs. We have a grocery store in walking distance. You know, it's like you can walk outside. There's not a ton of people out there. And we have our whole little pool and everything. And I have friends. And I have a few friends that get tested so they can, like, come over. Um, So, you know, we're in, I'm in a really good situation. And I'm very, very grateful for that. So I, like, definitely do not judge the people who are stuck in, like, a one-bedroom apartment going out because I would be doing the same thing. <laughs>
1: you know? Yeah. It would be interesting to see – I, I I feel like eventually after everybody everybody keeps saying like once this is over and there's a part of me that's like is this ever going to be over? Do <laughs> you remember when it first started? I was my my husband was like this is going to go through the summer and I was like no it's not. Like, <laughs> there's no way that we're going to be quarantined for more than a month. That's insane. You can't shut down the economy for six months. Like people have to oh, go oh, Don't stupid. And now it's like mid-July and I still like haven't really worked. And I'm like,
0: eh. yeah, I know. My My boyfriend said this is going to last to the end of the year at least. You know, now he's like, I think this is going to go into 2021. I'm like, Jesus, like, oh yeah. my God, I don't know. Like I'm going to freaking die. <laughs> so far I'm doing much better than I thought. Like if you told me, you know, last year that this was going to happen, I would tell you there's no way I could do it. I will lose my mind. I can't do it. And it's actually been kind of nice. I mean, I don't want to say, you know, that this time has been a blessing or anything, because obviously, a lot of people are in these terrible situations. And it's been god awful for a lot of people. I mean, it has been for me financially, but I'm just in a lucky spot where like, my boyfriend isn't going to kick me out of the house you know so i'm not going to be homeless and if i wasn't in a situation where i lived with a bunch of people who love me and you know a lot of them are still working then it could be a bad situation so obviously overall it's been terrible for you know the country and for the world but for me having this good situation i've been trying to take advantage of it you know i don't want to look back on this year and be like I could have done so much more with this time. And I didn't. I just sat around and complained about it. And that's what I've been trying to not do. And basically, wake up every day, have a good routine, exercise, eat healthy, you know, been cooking a lot, and do all knock out all these things, adult things, like getting my finances together, like dealing with some tax stuff that I always want to put off. And so that at least at the end of this year, which we hope that it won't be longer than like into a little bit of next year. Um, At least I can look back and be like, you know, I'm proud of how I spent my time. Even if it wasn't the best year of my life, I didn't maybe do anything amazing, but I want to look back and be proud of myself for how I spent the time with what I was given.
1: Yeah. Being productive. Yeah. I think what this whole quarantine thing has kind of made me realize is how busy we make ourselves and how hectic our lives are on a regular basis. And just the insanity with which we work and that kind of culture around the got to build my career, constantly go, 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 never take time off. This has kind of forced a lot of people to take time off or to step back and get, you know, all the other things together that they weren't able to before. Cause they were always, you know, trying to climb that ladder. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's shown, it's, it's, it's also shown like the holes in our society and in our government and in our healthcare. And so a part of me really hopes that this will, in a way, like actually make us better.
0: Right. You know, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people are like saying I'm so bored, you know, but I feel like I've been almost busier than ever because, like, usually, you know, I travel on the weekends, I'm working, and my days that I work are long. Like, I might fly across the country, I play a show, I don't even sleep, and I fly to the next city, I play a show, and then I fly back to L.A. So when I get back on Sunday night, I feel totally cool taking Monday and Tuesday to just be a piece of shit. Because I earned money, right? So I'm like, okay, I busted my ass all weekend. I'm going to sleep all day Monday. And then Tuesday, you know, I'll, like, do my nails or, like, a hair mask. You know, all those things. Kind of like self-care. And I'll just, like, two days of the week, I, like, I'm just completely not doing anything. Because, I mean, doing things maybe. But I don't know if watching Netflix, like, (laughs) counts Mm -hmm. as anything. But because I'm not earning any money, it's, like this even more pressure to create content to get things done that I normally don't have time for because it's like, bitch, like you you didn't make any money the last three months. Like you need to be building. Whereas before it was really easy for me to say, oh, I made this much money this weekend. Like I'm just going to sit on the couch and watch TV. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's been kind of like an opposite thing where I feel like I'm even more hectic and like all over the place. Like I need to do this. I need to do this because I know I have the time and I feel guilty not using it. You know?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the pre- the pressure to hustle is definitely um, increased tenfold. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have to find alternate means of making money. I mean, a majority of my income was from shooting for clients and right. that obviously has pretty much stopped. So I've had to really focus on this podcast and, and other means of income.
0: Is that so good though? Because you're like excited to like focus on the podcast, you know? And Yeah, no, actually
1: it's been really great. It's been I've been able to like focus more on marketing. We finally got to change my logo, which I wanted to do for a long time. Um, I'm actually working on – I just had a meeting with uh, my brother-in-law today because he's going to help me do research. But uh, I'm going to do like a historical – uh, version of the podcast on um, the legalization of porn in California, like Ooh. through the Friedman case and like why porn is like California's epicenter of porn and I right. well, started in New York and moved over here and like difference in porn in Florida and California. So it'll be more, it won't be me necessarily like interviewing one person. It'll be me narrating this kind of like a hardcore history on porn. Right, right, sort of. right.
0: I love that.
1: Yeah. So I'm excited to like try something different all right. We're going to take a quick commercial break and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk more about the adult industry, about her DJing career. So stick around. ED or erectile dysfunction. Now this is a topic that most men are loath to discuss, but it's also a topic that a lot of men have issues with. It's time to stop ignoring that embarrassing struggle you keep having with your penis and do something about it. And just because we discuss a topic so openly on my show it doesn't mean that you have to announce your ED problems to the world because of our friends at Get Roman. They have made it possible to treat this issue discreetly from the privacy of your own home. They've spent years building a digital platform that connects you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your own couch. Just jump online to complete a free visit. You'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, your medication can be shipped to your door with free two-day discreet shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or if you want to adjust your treatment plan. There's also no commitment and you can cancel it anytime. So if you're one of the millions of men who are struggling with ED, go to getroman.com/holly and get a free online visit, free 2-day shipping and $15 off your first order. That's getroman.com/holly for a free visit, free 2-day shipping and $15 of your first order. Sex toy sales are skyrocketing because people want orgasms now more than ever. And Adam and Eve is here to help you with an incredible deal to make all your sexual dreams come true. They are offering my listeners the deal of a lifetime. All you have to do is head over to adamandeve.com pick out one item. It could be anything you desire. Not only do they have sex toys, but they also have movies, lingerie, games, and so much more. And they will give you 10 free gifts. Yes, they are literally giving away 10 sexy surprises to boost your sexual pleasure. All you have to do is type in your code Holly and you'll automatically get these 10 free gifts plus free shipping. That's holly at adamandeve.com. All right, we are back. So, we were talking about how you're making extra money during the um during the pandemic. Now, what a lot of people have been talking about and a lot of people who aren't in the adult industry have been doing is like jumping on the OnlyFans train because mm-hmm. everybody thinks that that's this really easy and quick way to make money. So, that brings my question to you. Are you doing any kind of sex work at all anymore or have you left that all behind?
0: Uh, I mean, I haven't shot in, like, over a year, but, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not like, ugh, I can never do that ever again <laughs> or anything. So I hate when people are like, oh, did you retire? I'm like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I don't really shoot anymore. But um, but as far as the OnlyFans stuff, you know, it's one reason why I kind of, like, phased out of the industry was just how it was changing, and not that I dislike it. I actually think it's amazing, like the OnlyFans stuff, and it's putting the power back in the hands of the performers, right? So you can be making a ton of money off OnlyFans, and, you know, kind of, then you don't have to work for a company that you don't have to work for. You know, I was kind right. of, I came into the industry before all that, and kind of started phasing out right when that stuff with snapchats and everything were getting popular that's kind of when i was like slowly exiting the industry so it was kind of like the last phase of like the older industry and i think it's really really great because you know i know situations where like maybe you don't really want to shoot for this company or you don't want to shoot with this person but you need the money and so you have to do it and i think it's amazing that this OnlyFans stuff is putting the power back in the hands of the performers i think it's great um it's just not personally, like it doesn't appeal to me. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of like a tomboy. Like when I did porn, I was in college um, when I started and everyone was like, what the fuck? (laughs) You know, because like that was just not me. Like, I don't know. I'm like, I like to wear big t-shirts. I don't wear a lot of makeup. Um, You know, I'm just kind of like a tomboy and I'm definitely a very sexual person and always have been. Um, I love having sex and I just like love – I think sex is great. And I have very sex positive, but I'm just not into the whole like teasing thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, And mm-hmm. so porn for me was really fun because I love to act. I've been doing it my whole life. It's like my favorite thing to do. So going to a porn set for me was like – it was acting, right? You go and you get to pretend to be someone else for the day and then you, and then you, and you get to have sex. And a lot of times it's really great and fun and pleasurable. Not always, but (laughs) a lot of times. So, you know, that was what I loved about it. And the whole OnlyFans stuff is just not up my alley. You know, it's being at home, it's getting all dolled up at your house and kind of like teasing guys, like talking with them and you know, it's like a
1: virtual strip club.
0: Right, exactly. And that's just never really been something I enjoy. You know, I think it's amazing that girls have that and, 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 the, and the guys as well. But it's just not – I think I would feel ridiculous. You know, I especially I've always really tried to separate um, from the beginning of me doing porn myself as a person and this person that I play on camera. You know, I think a lot of girls, when they create their porn persona – whatever name they give themselves, that's, that's their porn persona, right? And then they go home and their, their legal name, and that's their like at home persona. But for me, uh, you know, I always knew I wanted to do other things besides porn. And so when I created Carter Cruz, like this brand, it was supposed to basically carry me through other industries. And so I've always tried to make it like Carter Cruz isn't a porn star. I mean, yeah, she is, but she's also other things. But Carter Cruz isn't my on-screen personality. It's me, you know? And the on-screen porn personality is something separate from that. Like part of it, but not the whole thing.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: it just always feels weird to me to basically through my own name as Carter Cruz that like Everyone calls me like even my parents <laughs> call me <laughs> to be like you know all like flirty and stuff with people because I'm like this this isn't me you know this would be someone else so it, when I'm going to a set and I'm like getting paid to play a character it's like okay this is acting but if I'm at home being myself then suddenly I feel like this isn't makes sense. I, to me, I hear you. you. <laughs> it, it's
1: harder for you to separate. Yeah, your porn persona from like you as a person. Like you want to going to set and having the production, having the hair and makeup, having the cameras and the lighting and like having it be a whole thing. Right. Is totally an entirely different experience than just like masturbating in your own home. Yeah. Like I mean (laughs) videos where you sit on cakes and you know (laughs)
0: <laughs> and I love that shit. I think it's great. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, fired up for all my friends who are making yeah. bank on OnlyFans, but I'm like, I think I saw the industry kind of trending towards that stuff, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, this this isn't what I want to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And I I mean, I was never planning on being in the industry for a very long time, but it definitely was kind of like, okay, this is like my kind of my cue to start phasing out because the girls who are really successful and making the best money right now are doing those things. And it's silly to be in the industry and not do that. And Mm -hmm. I just thought, you know, I I felt like it would leave like a bad taste in my mouth. And, you know, I've seen so many girls who've been in the industry, um, that, you know, they leave and then they kind of have this like really negative view of the industry. And I never, I don't want to ever be like that because, Mm -hmm. I'm very proud of my work in adult. I have no shame over it. I think it's fucking awesome. I love all the people that I've met, um, all the friends I've made. I'm still friends with them. And I want, you know, to keep that positive view of it, which can be hard, especially when you try to transition into other things. And, you know, because you suddenly realize, oh, yeah, the stigma, I'm going to face it every day. And so people kind of turn this, like, have this negative feeling about it and i was like you know if i force myself to basically create this content that i don't enjoy and that i don't love while i'm also continuing to face the stigma as i try to transition into other industries i feel like i could develop a really like strong like feeling towards the industry of like resentment and that's not what i want because i don't feel that way and i but i feel like forcing myself you know, the reason why I did porn was because I didn't want to do something I didn't want to do. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I wanted to, I, I want to live life on my own terms. And I want to do things that make me happy. I don't want to go to an office and sit there nine to five. I didn't want to do any of those things. And that's why I decided to do porn. So forcing myself to start an OnlyFans, you know, people always tell me you can make so much money. And like, you're probably right. But I just feel like filming myself masturbate and doing stuff that I don't enjoy doing, I think that I would develop a lot of resentment um, towards the industry because that's not why I got into porn to begin with. So, you know, I just kind of felt like this isn't really my vibe. I'm going to make a little uh, exit from the industry, but I'm definitely not against like I just got hit up to do I'm going to be a voice in a hentai porn. So that's really cool. Yeah, I love hentai. I'm not a big porn watcher. I literally had never watched porn, um, my whole life until right before I got into porn. Mainly because like we had a family computer and I was just terrified that like my parents would know that I looked stuff up and I was very interested in sex from a really early age, you know? So I definitely like, I would go to Barnes Noble and I'd go to the, you know, the sex section and I would read a lot of books. So I was pretty like, precocious, um, as far as sexuality as a child, but as far as porn, never, ever watched it. And I I think it kind of gives me a very interesting perspective on sex compared to most people. Cause I think a lot of people, their first exposure to sex is through porn. And like when I lost my virginity, I had never seen a a porno. And I think that's different from most people because most people before long before they ever have sex, they've watched porn. So they that's what they think of sex, you know. And my introduction into sex was purely like very innocent, I guess. I mean, like I don't know if we can call it innocent <laughs> if it's sex, but just like I had no preconceived notions. I had no idea of what sex was supposed to be like, or what, like you know, I just didn't know any of that. I just like went into it with like just myself, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And I, I wish more people could have that experience. But as a result, um, you know, because I watched porn. Really, right before I got into the industry, like I was already thinking of doing porn, and then I was like, mm, maybe I should like watch a porno. So I know.
1: what. Maybe you should do some research or something. Right? Yeah. Before video.
0: I do this life changing yeah. thing, I should watch this. So I did that, and I watched a few pornos, and of course, the ones I watched were like you know I thought all porn was like that, it was super artsy. It was like portrait of a call girl, and it was like a movie, and I was like, oh wow, <laughs> Like, this oh, is so wow. Cool. Yeah. I
1: feel like- the opposite is the truth for most people. Most people like go on Pornhub and they see like I fuck my stepsister or like you know I put my balls in my stepmom's mouth,
0: right? And <laughs> they
1: think like all porn is like that, so right? We're exactly. always trying to explain to people is that porn is not one thing. Porn is so many so different many
0: things. things. Yeah, There's so many
1: different kinds of porn. Like you can find whatever you're into. Like you can find it. Find so it. I'm so it's Interesting it. that you had a different
0: totally different beautiful. and I think it's partially because I looked for that you know like right. I had like those are the also like the girls who are in those types of things like that's who I read about that like piqued my interest in doing porn mm-hmm. where I was like oh these girls have dope lives like they <laughs> get to do whatever they want can I you give me that. an example of like who like just- Sasha Gray like Jesse okay. Andrews like we're like two that really like you know I saw that they went on and did all this other cool stuff and yeah. I was like that's dope like They literally did porn, and then they got to do all these other things, and, like, they got to build this brand using porn, and, you know, so I had read some interviews with them, basically, you know, just, like, on Vice, read some interviews, and I was like, wow, like, their life seems so cool, and then kind of started looking more into the industry and, like, reading more, like, articles and interviews with porn stars, and that's kind of, like, what got me interested in it before I even knew what shooting a porn entailed, you know? And then, of course, I looked into, um, you know, those movies like I love, like Wasteland, like Elegant Angel did it a few, like, years before I got into the industry. It's, like, I think it's just a fantastic um, movie. Yeah, the tra- you
1: know, it's funny that you say that because I remember watching the trailer <sighs> and being like, this looks fucking amazing. And then I bought the DVD and I've never watched it. you never it. watched
0: it? And oh, I my God. Closet. And I don't <laughs> even have a DVD player anymore oh my god yeah you gotta the trailer was amazing the trailer was so good yeah i've watched it a few times it's really cool what they did there and it's kind of the porn that i like is that they basically filmed full sex scenes but then during the movie they're cut down to maybe five minute scenes so when you get the dvd you can go watch the full sex scene as an extra but when you're watching the movie you know a lot of pornos are like 10 minutes of dialogue, 10 minutes of sex, 10 minutes of – You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's this formula. I'm like, I really don't want to watch like t- four 10-minute sex scenes in a movie. Like what am I going to do with that, you know? I would like a more slow burn. Like so by the end of the movie you're like, I'm so fucking turned on because you've seen all these little like pieces of – And then it kind of culminates like the last scene is a little bit more full and it's, you know – I don't know. So the whole movie is more kind of teasing you and then you get to this like final thing. So the movie is something to be watched in one sitting as opposed to let me watch this dialogue with the scene one day and you know, kind of thing. And that's really, that's yeah. really
1: interesting. And actually I like that idea because and I think you can only do that with a movie where the non sex parts are actually so good that you would watch them on their own. Cause most right. people fast forward through that part, get to the sex you know, and they oh, ignore yeah. the rest of it. But of course, I like that formula.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. And and the thing is, they're still getting what they paid for. If you want to watch the full scene, you can go see it. So yeah, it's just like not forced on you to like, sit. I don't like if I'm watching a movie, I don't want to multiple times sit through that long of sex. Like, you know, I just want a little sexiness in it. Oh, like there's a scene. I think it's with Manuel and and Lily Carter, I think. And she's like, Oh, no. Lily LeBeau and Manuel, I think, and Lily Carter's in the bathroom stall. They're, like, at a club together. And so Lily LeBeau and and Manuel are basically, she goes in the bathroom to fuck him. And so they're, like, fucking in the, in the bathroom, like, stall. And Lily Carter is, like, in the bathroom stall next to them, but they don't know. And so she's, like, listening to them fuck, and she's, like, getting all turned on and stuff. But just the way it's shot, like, there's so many ways that could be, like, cheesy as fuck, and it's just so hot that like you know they're just having dirty sex in this public restroom and like this girl that has a crush on this other girl is like next to it and she's like it's just really really hot and a lot of porn doesn't really do it for me like that and so as a result especially like once I got started watching porn I mean I was in the industry and so as a result a lot of people um, that I really like as performers are my friends and so it kind of kills the vibe a little bit You know what I'm saying? It's like you're watching it and you're just like, it's so weird. Like we kick it and like, it's just not as hot. So I think as a result, that's why I got really into, I love the animated stuff. Um, That's where my train of thought was going that I lost. But um, as far as the animated stuff, like the anime stuff, because it's not anyone I know, it's purely fantasy and they also have like really good storylines in a lot of those, you know, like where I'm actually like, ooh, what's gonna happen?
1: <laughs> you yeah. know,
0: and so it's a little, it's a little less like formulaic, little bit of dialogue, 20 minutes of sex or whatever. And it's a little bit more kind of spread throughout the movie and everything like that. So I really got into I love the hentai stuff. And so I as soon as I found out that there was a company in California that was wanting to do that I was like oh my god please consider me and I was like two years ago and they just hit me up and we're like we're gonna make it so do you want to be a voice and I was like oh it's so cool because like I don't have to be naked or like get fucked but like I still get to make this like cool product that yeah I like so
1: yeah 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 I'm I'm with you I I I never watch porn but if <laughs> I do I it has to be people I don't know yeah. And it has to be, um, and a lot of times it's like hentai porn because of that. And it's funny because sometimes like if I watch a scene and I know someone in it, I'm like, I can't, I can't, as long as I'll watch a scene and like the guy, they'll purposely cut the guy's head off and I'll be like, okay, this is hot. And then like I hear his voice yeah. and I can't <laughs> know who it is. And I'm like,
0: nope, I'm done. I'm really done. Was. I can't. I know who you are now. Like, it ruins it. You know too much about yeah. them. You're like, oh, my God, yeah. I know your kids. <laughs> like, yeah, gonna... yeah. It's, it's like
1: you can't – like, I can't objectify you now. Thanks yeah. a lot.
0: It's very true, yeah. And I think also, too, I, when I would try – I watched some scenes, like, to prepare for, like, certain companies. You know, when I, before I worked for a company, I'd be like, okay, let me watch some of their porn. And you notice that, you know, when you're working with these guys, they have their, like, things that they always say to girls – and it's the more you watch it, it's harder to separate yourself when you're actually performing in the scene. You know, obviously, you know that at the end of the day, you're going to be like, bye, and then like not talk to them until you work with them again, you know? But right. during the scene, you obviously have to kind of create this fantasy of like, you're really fucking into them. And, the easier it is to believe that, like, the better the scene it's going to be, right? Right. And so I think that, you know, certain guys are really good at, like, dirty talking, and they say these things that are really hot. But then if you watch a porno and you're like, oh, like, he says this to every girl. <laughs> <laughs> and the next, yeah. And the next time you're working with him and he says that, you're like, bitch, like, shut up.
1: Yeah. Like, oh, he's the most beautiful girl in the world. you like, yeah. <laughs>
0: You just said that to Angela White yesterday. Yeah. Like, I heard that shit. Like, I don't want it. Yeah. So that's why I always kind of, like, avoided watching it because I was like, I don't want to see these same people fuck other people because I want it to feel special with me so that even though you know it's not special, obviously, it's work. But, you know, you want to be able to feel like that so you can, like, really enjoy it and make a good scene, you know, because chemistry is everything.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So earlier you were talking about how you weren't doing, you know, the OnlyFans and all that kind of stuff because you didn't want to feel ever feel like any kind of resentment towards working an adult, which you had not experienced, even though you're not really working anymore. So that brings me to the question of, you know, something that's been a hot topic lately with Mia Khalifa coming out, talking about her experience in the adult industry. And I thought that you said some really poignant things on Twitter about it. And I know a lot of people in the industry are really on fire about it. So what is your opinion on that whole thing?
0: You know, I mean, I think it's like really sad because I don't know, I have a lot of empathy for these people, because Mia is not the first one, um, you know. I think yeah. before that, there were, there's always someone who gets a whole lot of mainstream attention for basically saying like how bad of experience they had in porn. You know, God forbid they put the spotlight on someone who loves their job, right? Um, that doesn't
1: sell as well.
0: Yeah, it does not, and yeah. so because I, people
1: want something that pushes the narrative that they've always. They, they've right. been fed their whole lives that porn is evil. So, like, right. they want something that, that reinstitutes their belief in that.
0: Right. And that's, yeah, exactly. That reinforces their narrative. And, like, for instance, I know, like, the Hot Girls Wanted, like, movie that came out, like, a few, like, I don't know, like, five years ago, whatever. Um, Really interesting because uh, that was being shot, right, when I first got into the business. And initially, uh, Dakota Sky and I were supposed to be, like, the girls in that documentary and it's just interesting to think how differently that would have turned out um, if they had gone with us but at that point I'd probably been in the business two months I was like still shooting in Florida I hadn't come out to LA yet Um, but basically you know there was this new agency that I just started in Florida and that's very skeevy and they know I think this about them (laughs) And, you know, I mean, I went to the model house, and it's just, like, it looked like a crack den. There's, like, mattresses on the floor. Like, he was sleeping with the girls. He was, like, there were models for him. You know, it was just all around, like, gross. And they were like, oh, perfect for our documentary about the porn industry because it's the worst thing that exists, you
1: know? Can I tell you something really funny about that? Please. So, um because we're talking about the very first hot girls wanted yeah, and like the, that was movie. The, of the anthology that I was part of. And it was on the basically on the adult industry on the East coast and mm-hmm. they followed a certain agent. And so I ended up like, you know, talking, knowing, getting to know the, the producers because of my segment that I ended up doing a couple of years later. And one of the producers told me that she got
0: pink eye from the house. Oh my God. Just from being there producing Jesus. I was like, I really believe it. I went there. It was when I was first getting into the business, and I was like, the guy who runs that house, like, I I won't even mention him by name, but, you know, i have literally two months in the industry, like, I was at some, like, party with him, and he's like, Carter, I feel like you don't like me and I'm like I really fucking don't like you're gross like you fuck the girls who work for you like completely unprofessional and you literally have like a model house that you think is like so cool and it's like girls sleeping on a fucking like shitty mattress on the floor like it's disgusting you know I could tell I was like you're in this for like your own personal gain like to basically have hot young impressionable women around you that you can manipulate into fucking you and I do not agree with that you know so that was I clearly I know why they picked that like they wanted that story and those girls that were the main girls in that like when I first moved to California or wasn't moving out here but I was coming out here to work those girls and I like we were tight like we would stay in hotels together you know so I kind of saw that whole story unfold from like my perspective and then when I watched Mm -hmm. the the documentary it was like wow this is like not what I saw you know um so clearly they're always going for those like types of stories that's what they want Mm -hmm. to push and um so as a result every few years there's someone who makes a lot of mainstream press they complain about porn it's so awful everyone can go we always knew porn was evil, sex work is terrible, it's exploitive and and then society goes on feeling good about stigmatizing sex sex workers and sex workers get pushed farther into their own little world. Um, so you know, but at the same time, I do think there are stories of girls being highly taken advantage of. Of being used, of being manipulated. I think some girls get into the business way too young, and I don't think that they have any idea of what they're getting into. I was 22 when I got into porn. I researched it like crazy on the internet. Like I knew I was going to be a Spiegler girl. Like you know, I was like, okay, this guy is legit. He represents all these girls like that. Like love him. Like that's you know who I want to kind of. So I had kind of this idea of the industry going in. I knew how to navigate it. And I was much older and more comfortable with myself and more confident. Um, But, you know, a lot of girls get in at 18 and they are impressionable. They're easy to manipulate and bad things do happen as they do in every industry. Um, But unfortunately, those girls' voices are amplified so much, they drown out everyone who had a good experience. But I also always have this like kind of like wrestle inside me because, I do have empathy for their situation. I mean, I've had bad things happen to me both in the porn industry and doing mainstream stuff. I've experienced terrible things. And so, you know, I do have empathy for them. And I always feel bad because it's like your story is valid, you know? And I think they have every right to talk about this person took advantage of me, this person manipulated me you know, whatever, this person assaulted me, whatever it was. And there's nothing wrong with them sharing those stories. But I think the problem is, is that because the media latches onto those and only shares those stories and just kind of skates over everybody else who's been in the industry 20 years and loves it. Um, as a result, the industry gets a lot of resentment. And something I learned while being in the industry was like, you know, it's a very tight knit group and people are like family. I think A lot of people date in the industry. A lot of their, maybe most of their friends are in the industry. You go to work, obviously, in the industry. So, as a result, and when you go outside of that, you're either like a freak on display of like, oh, wow, look at this porn star, or you're like, ew, like this dirty whore, you know? So, you feel most at home with people who are in the industry. And as a result, it's kind of this very tight knit thing. So, when someone comes out and says, I had this bad experience, you know, the industry is very resistant to that. They, you know, are like, fuck you, you know, because you're pushing the stigma. But then it's also hard because I'm like, and I, I empathize with that because I'm like, you are, you're pushing the stigma. You're feeding into this mainstream narrative that society wants us to believe that sex work is inherently exploitive. And it's not. I mean... Sex work is really like any other job. You know, it can be exploitive. You can be manipulated. You can do things you don't want to do. You know, of course that stuff can happen. It can happen in any aspect of your life. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what it is. And the main reason that happens like to sex workers a lot of times is because they have no recourse. You have no way, you know, if if you're an escort and you get raped on a job and you go to the police... They're gonna arrest you for escorting, right? So this stigma that we have around sex workers causes the industry to be very closed off. You know, they are not open to criticism, which can be bad. I think sometimes people come yeah. forward with good stories that we should learn from and be like, Yeah, you're right, that company is shitty and we need to get rid of them. But yeah. people immediately close off, they close ranks. They say, we want nothing to do with you. You're bitter. Get out of here. And Mm -hmm. I do understand both sides because I understand the industry. They're worried about the stigma that's being forced on them. And I think that is something that these people need to consider. But then I also do understand these people trying to share their stories. But as far as Mia Khalifa you know, I thought she was dope. Like I had invited her to some of my DJ shows when she was living in Austin. I was like, Oh, like we should like hang out. You know, she was like really funny. She had this big personality. And I thought, you know, I, and people were hating on her from the beginning because she got all this fame really quickly and mainstream fame. And people are resentful of that because it's denied for a lot of sex workers. Right. So she always kind of was hated on from the beginning and and same thing that happened with Bell Knox where I see that happening to someone, I always want to reach out and be like, hey, like I'm your friend in the industry because I understand like you're going through the stigma of being a sex worker, but then also the other sex workers like don't fuck with you. <laughs> That's like a very hard place to be. Um, right. So i always like made the effort to like go to those people and be like, hey, like I'm cool with you, you know, whatever. And, you know, so I thought she was cool and I had made that effort. and. So then to see her come out with this story later, it was like, I don't know. It's just like you didn't think for a second of how this could affect everyone else in the industry, you know? And I just don't like that she's pushing this whole story that she's like a champion of sex workers, but yet she won't listen to any of them. She won't talk to any of them. Like the only people that she'll talk to are people who agree with her and Mm -hmm. The thing is, is if you're really going to be a champion for someone, then you need to listen to all of their opinions. You need to understand all the experiences. And that is not what she's doing. You know, it's just like, this is bad because what happened to me was bad. And she says she's sex work, sex work positive. But like, I don't see that. Like, you can say that, but when you're only sharing negative experiences, you're not like saying, Hey, this girl's fucking awesome. And she has a great career in the industry and has had an amazing time. Like go check out her only fans, you know, kind of thing. Like where you're putting a pause, shining a positive light on it as well. And if all you're doing is saying my experience was bad, this company is bad. This industry is bad. It's exploitive. That's all you're pushing, you know? And I, yeah.
1: there's nothing like constructive in her criticism. Right. It's not like a, Hey, I had a bad experience these are the mistakes that I made. These are the people that I work with that I shouldn't have worked with. Like, here's what other girls should avoid,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, as opposed to, um, you know, being like every, it's all bad. Everything's bad. It's all exploitative. Um, My experience speaks for everybody's experience in the adult industry.
0: Well, and you know, as far as that constructive criticism and like looking back on how you could have done things differently, I think that, (laughs) something i'm like kind of nervous to talk about cuz people are very sensitive but you know i do kind of i think that's important that you know if sex work is a regular job and it's normal then like you need to approach that like you would any other job and like you can always do things better and there's kind of this idea that's i've seen kind of being floated around and pushed that like you know we're like constantly victims And, like, even some, like, sex workers who are sex worker positive and, like, love their careers are kind of pushing this of, like, you know, they need to be babied. And basically, you know, you can – like, they don't want to look back and think, well, maybe I could have communicated better or I could have done something differently. And that's tough because, you know, people think, oh, it's sex. Like, you – are just a victim. If anything bad happens to you during sex, you're just a victim. And just because you're a victim doesn't mean there's not things to learn from it. You know? Um, I mean, I think of things like, maybe I'm just kind of a person who I've had bad things happen to me, but a lot of times I don't think it was my fault because I put myself in that situation. You know, I don't think, Oh, it's me. I'm a bad person. No, the person who did it is the bad person. They did the bad thing, but I can look back and be like, okay, what did I learn from this experience and how can I avoid these types of people and this kind of interactions in the future? And unfortunately like I, I know like Kate Kennedy kind of posted this thing about, you know, here's how you can like avoid being sexually assaulted. And, People got really mad at her. Uh, like yeah, I, they, they said told she her got that like death was victim,
1: victim blaming, victim
0: blaming, and I know that that's not what she was doing at all. Because at the end of the day, like if someone's going to hurt you and do something against your will, like they're going to do it anyway, and there's nothing really you can do to stop that. And so it's not that if anything happens to you, you shouldn't have dressed that way or you shouldn't have gone there alone, like no, 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 no. Like, ultimately, they are the bad guy. They did the bad thing. But that doesn't mean that there's not things that you can learn to... Because predators and bad people exist in every... All over the place. I mean, I think, like, some of the worst things I experienced was from an ex-boyfriend that I dated while I was in porn. And, you know, he is just super... He's slut-shamey, just, like some of the worst like trauma that I have sexually is like from this person. And that Mm -hmm. wasn't even in the industry, you know? So predators, manipulators, sociopaths, narcissists, all these people that will take advantage of you and cause you trauma, they can come up at any point in your life. You don't just do sex work and that's how you come across them. It could be your boyfriend. It could be your boss at fucking Dunkin' Donuts. Like it doesn't matter. Like, And so looking and saying, how can I identify these kinds of behaviors, avoid it, and also learn how to handle myself when I am in one of these situations is a really positive thing. It doesn't mean that if something still happens, that it's your fault. You know, that, right. that that's not what it means at all. Like you are not to blame ever. It's not you should have done this, but like maybe you could have done this and it would have caused you less trauma because of it. And I don't think that's a negative thing to say. And I was mind blown by the hate she was getting because I know it came from such a good place and... I I always try to tell girls that stuff. Like, hear it. Like, these people are shitty. Avoid them. Like, you know, kind of thing. And yes, it would be amazing if one day we just poof, every predator is out of the industry and we don't have any of that. But, I mean, it doesn't happen in politics, in any other industry. Why would the adult industry suddenly be free from the stuff that every other industry is still experiencing, you know?
1: Yeah. I think people are so touchy on it because, you know, it's about... It's 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 about sex, which is some a subject that a lot of us are still very uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. And I think also, too, there is a bit of like ethical murkiness in the industry.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: I think people have a hard time like wading through that, you know, and it's and it's like you can't go into the adult industry believing that it's all bad or it's all good. Mm-hmm. It's both. Right. So what I think what you're saying with Kate is Kate was trying to arm people with information right? that might help them navigate an Through industry that is good and bad. Right. And uh, I do believe that people read that wrong, but yes. people read everything wrong on Twitter anyways. Yes. You know? <laughs> Very something so. about like that social media platform that's, that's toneless and you're just reading 135 characters or however many characters like 128 now or something. I don't know. Yeah. I
0: think they moved it up to like 240 or something.
1: (laughs) So there's a lot and it's so, you know, and, and it's like you read things in whatever mindset you're in. Right. And because you're not actually having like person to person discourse with someone, you can totally read it the wrong way. And then that other person isn't there to say, no, 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 that's not what I meant at all. Right. I meant it this way. It's so like, Twitter just doesn't allow for the usual one-on-one conversations that I think help us move dialogue forward and address issues in a responsible and adult way. It's just like people just screaming at each other.
0: Yeah, no, very much so. And that's like, we actually with the Mia Khalifa thing, you know, I, Ugh, trying to st- not say anything, just don't get involved, you know? And then, <laughs> and then of course I just can't, I'm just like, that's not my personality. Like I see something, someone doing something that I think is wrong. And I, I have to say something I've been that way mm-hmm. since I was four years old, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but you know, so I had written, I thought a lot of really kind of thoughtful tweets to her. And in that day that she was kind of going off and I had probably tagged her and like actually like tweeted at her probably like four or five really well thought out tweets that were directed to her. And of course, like she ignores all of those. Um, And I, you know, it's not like, oh, you didn't see my tweets because I had basically I saw in her, her fans were responding and I saw someone being like, oh, wow, this just shows how terrible the industry is, you know? And I responded to him and specifically untagged her and said, hey, like, you know, please stop stigmatizing an entire industry based off one person's perspective. So she wasn't tagged in this tweet. It wouldn't come up in her mentions. It was just to one of her fans that I felt like was taking too much from something she said. And that's the tweet that she chose to basically respond to and quote retweet and put on her page Ignore all the very thoughtful things I had said that were directed at her, because if she posts those on her page, that might actually get someone else to not agree with her,
1: right? Yeah, take the know? wind out of her argument,
0: right? So let me take this two little, this one little sentence that she wrote to someone else and put that on blast, where people don't know any of the context, and then they can judge from there. And so when she did that, I was like, "Mm, I see where this is going. Like you only respond to the most inflammatory messages. Like if a girl's like says something mean, you post that and go, you know, oh, look how jealous everyone in the industry is of me, you know? Mm -hmm. But when someone says, hey, no judgment, but like here's some ideas of things that are important, you just conveniently don't see that. And, um, you know, I was like, okay, I'm not getting involved in this. Like I'm not going to do that. So that's why I wrote a blog. I wrote her a letter and because I thought in, in a Twitter, in a tweet, I can only say a sentence and so many things can get misconstrued. If I write a blog, I can really get all my thoughts out so you can really understand. So if you want to, if you really want to understand why people in the industry are upset, and you really want to understand how you can continue to share your truth and your story and fight for yourself without stigmatizing sex workers. Here are resources and here here, here it is. And, you know, I, I did that and I, I woke up in the morning. I had shit to do later that day. So I sat down and I spent my whole fucking morning writing this blog and put a lot of like heart and soul into it, tweeted it back at her to her response. I was like, you know, I really can't respond on a tweet. so. I hope you choose to read this radio silence and you know that's just like to me if you know it was such I I really tried to approach it with such an empathetic understanding tone too you know I don't I know people really do attack her and I'm like this obviously isn't helping you know I I'm saying your truth is valid that's fine but here are some other things to consider you know and the fact that you're not interested in having a discourse about that just to me proves that you have no interest in serving anyone but yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. And and then, I mean, of course, like the Bang Bro stuff came out shortly after that of them calling her out. And I have no reference of, you know, if that any of that was true. Um, I don't know. Did you see the website that they made? Yeah, I saw that they said stuff
1: like, you know, she claimed she only made $12,000, that she said she made like $178,000. i am a little bit confused on what that meant. Was she getting residuals from her website? I think,
0: like, I think I'm they paid sure. her to basically promote them on social media and okay. be, run their social media staff and basically promote them on social media um, after she was like shooting. So that was what my understanding of that. But um, and then That's the fact that
1: of money to pay somebody to right, do. Be yeah. stuff yeah.
0: Yeah, she said, well, she said it in an interview that she was on their payroll, like not as a performer, but like, you know, she was okay, doing other okay. things for them, which I think included social media. I mean, okay. she had a huge following at that point. I'm sure they were like, yes, keep promoting us. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then basically that, you know, she said that Bang Bros had gotten, manipulated her into the industry. And that, and, but basically she had shot for a few companies before bang Groves. Um, so again, I don't have any knowledge of whether if the, any of this is true. I was very curious to see her response. I was very open-minded to her saying, none of this is true and here's the proof, but she didn't respond, which again, to me is like, okay, why, if this was not true, you would clearly just say it's not true but the fact that you don't respond just like you didn't respond to my blog post because it requires you to actually question some of the things you're saying and maybe modify your behavior, you ignore it, you know? And I just don't think that that's anyone who's open-minded and really wanting to do the right thing is, isn't going to ignore something like that. You know, like I, I mean, someone wrote, like I wrote a whole, and it's like, you know who I am. Like you, you responded to my tweet. I sat down and spent my entire morning writing you a letter because I really want this to be beneficial for everyone. I want you to tell your story, but I don't want sex workers to be harmed in the process of that, and that's all my intention was. And the fact that you have no care for that um, is it's just—it's really unfortunate. And you know, I, I try not to judge. I don't know the whole story, and I—I I never want to you know, hate on anyone that I really don't know, but it does just make me sad to see these girls and they just get, the mainstream press loves it. You know, they eat Mm -hmm. it up. It's just, Mm -hmm. I always just think I'm like, I wonder if I was just like, you know, I was so abused in porn. Like, would I suddenly be a huge mainstream success? You know, because I've always stayed with this really positive view of it. And it's just, like, unfortunate to see, like, the minute you start talking about how you were a victim. And a huge problem I have with that, too, is that, you know, she was out of college and 21, 22. So around the same age as me. So we were both college-educated 21, 22-year-olds when we got into porn. So we have similar experiences, right? And it's just wild to me because I know what my mindset was. And I know she's an intelligent person. And trying to push this whole narrative that you were somehow manipulated. I mean, at that point, when is someone old enough or mature enough or educated enough to ever have sex with anyone? You know, if at 22 with a college degree, you're unable to make decisions for yourself and anything that happens is you being manipulated, when you chose to go do this, it's just, I don't know. I feel like that's leading to this whole, and like you were saying earlier, people are still very uncomfortable with sex and it really leads to this very negative view on sex, that it's always exploitive, that women are always victims. And at the end of the day, like sex is just sex. You know, it's just this thing that we literally do to procreate. We do for enjoyment. It's, it's not exploitive. It's not, doesn't have to be violent. And this kind of thought process of that, you know, you doing porn, you were somehow manipulated into it. What do you mean you're manipulated? You had a college degree, you're a grown ass adult. If we say that a 22 year old with a college degree isn't, you know, a mature enough to decide to do sex work, then who is, you know? And yeah. That just leads to the whole thing that no one should ever do sex work because it will always be exploitive, you know? And I just, I would be a lot more understanding if, you know, I know girls who got into the business at 18, they had no money. They've been caring for their family members since they were in their teens, you know, 16. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure for them to make money, to care for their family. There are a lot of people who get into porn for those reasons. And I would be a lot more understanding, but just seeing someone kind of come from privilege from education, being a full grown adult saying I was taken advantage of. It's like, I mean, at what point did you learn to be an adult? Because I would think at 22, you would be old enough, you know? Ah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So everything that you said kind of leads me to this thought that I've had more and more frequently as of late. And it's really how problems with sex work revolves more around the stigma that you face from doing Mm -hmm. it rather than the sex work itself. And if, and, and you said yourself just now, you know, like what if I came out and, you know, spoke against the adult industry, like, would that help my career? Cause I know you're trying to transition to something else. And I wonder if society enjoys or kind of demands this almost like baptism where Mm -hmm. you come Mm -hmm. out of sex work and you go into like mains and in order for them to accept you into the mainstream industry, you have to like renounce your sins like having been in porn and say that you regret it and it was sinful and it was wrong and I'm so sorry and I was victimized and I didn't know any better and can you please forgive me? And can I now like do something else with my life?
0: Oh, people love that shit, right? Because
1: <laughs> you're right. The media does eat that up. They love that stuff because it, you know, pushes the narrative that you know everybody is comfortable with, right? Mm-hmm. People are very uncomfortable with the idea of sex being anything more than you know something dirty. that that's dirty, especially Perverted. if there's money involved. Yeah you know or it should only be between a man and a woman who like are married and love each other the idea that sex could be something else besides those things i think a lot of people are really resistant to mm-hmm. so these kinds of stories like mia that that play into their um into their biases is is something that they they want to hear you know, because we always we all want to hear that our beliefs are right. right. We always want to hear that what we think is the right thing, you know. Confirmation never,
0: bias, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Confirmation bias. We never want to like challenge our own ideas. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so 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 that whole story kind of made me think about that. Like, is it more difficult for someone to go the route that like Jesse Andrews did or Sasha Gray or Sonny Leone? and not you know bash porn but be like i had a good experience it was fine and now i've moved on and i want something else i wonder you know um, if if they fa- i mean actually i don't wonder i fucking interviewed sasha about this and we talked yeah. about this. <laughs> uh, and she her transition didn't seem to be as difficult as one might imagine she she just-
0: was a she was a special case she had yeah. like a she had a timing thing and like there was a yeah. lot of like things lined up really well for her, I think. I've, like, studied a lot of these people's careers because I was, like, (laughs) how can I, like, emulate this? So I think a lot of it comes with, like, timing of, like, what's going on in the world and how, you know, Sasha was kind of, like, this, like, she was, people weren't used to seeing someone like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it was coming to a point where more people were becoming more comfortable with porn and, and she was, like, very different. You know, she didn't look like a porn star. She was super intellectual. You know, she's, like, a smart girl and has all these other interests and stuff. And so I think it was, like, oh, wow, you're, like, this outlier. But, you know, now there's, like, a million Sasha Grays in porn. You know, yeah. girls who are crazy dirty on camera but, like, super intellectual and and into other things off camera. But I think she was kind of, like, that first person to really, like, make, uh, right. you know, to be able to capitalize on that. But as as far as what you said about the whole like kind of baptism thing, it's funny because I was even aware of this before I got into porn. Uh, you know, when I I told my parents I was going to do porn, and because my first agent in the business was like, "You need to tell your family because they're going to find out," and like just deal with it yourself instead of having someone else tell them. And you know, so I told my parents, and I remember saying like, you know, well, if I regret this, I can literally just say, "Well, I'm a born again Christian." And this was terrible, and everyone will forgive me. And it's true because the minute, and, and not that I would ever do that, I'm such an atheist, but like, you know, it just that this, I knew before I ever got into porn that that avenue existed, right? Mm. That you can say, it was all a big mistake. You know, I did, I was sinful, but now I love Jesus and he has forgiven me. And people are like, yes come to mm-hmm. the light, you know, they love it. They'll forgive you for all that shit. So I knew that that was something people did and that that was an option, like before I'd even experienced the stigma of porn, you know, right. so it's, it's very, very common. And I honestly can't hate on people for wanting to take advantage of it. You know, it's, it's not like what I would do. I think I'm like a very real person and I'm not very good at, you know, I always say how I feel. Um, I'm very honest. But I do, so I don't think that would be an easy thing for me, but I do understand why it's tempting to people. Um, and especially too, I think a lot of times they really do believe it because-
1: I was I'm just, just going right? to say, <laughs> yeah, are sure. there people? absolutely they believe it because everybody around them tells them that.
0: Yeah, there are people are around them telling them like, it, it's okay, it's not your fault. You know, this was a bad thing you did, like Jesus still loves you or like whatever it is. And it's just easy to think, yeah, like all this could go away. Like all the stigma, like all these problems with my relationships, all these problems with my family, like it will all be forgiven if I just say, you know, that it was a mistake. And it's unfortunate because like it turns into this, the industry was bad. But like and I even pointed this out to Mia actually in one of her tweets. She said she made a list of 10 things that she'd experienced because of porn, right? And um, when I look at this list, I see 10 things you've experienced because of society's stigma against sex workers, Mm -hmm. you know? Like your family disowning you has nothing to do with the industry. It really doesn't. No one in the industry called up your family and said, your daughter's a whore, disown her. You know, like that didn't happen. Like your family obviously feels some type of way about sex work and wants nothing to do with you because of that your boyfriend who can't handle the fact that you did porn that causes problems in your relationships that has nothing to do with the industry that has to do with people's stigma of porn death threats for having done porn again nothing to do with the industry it has only to do with the stigma and so i like that's what i was trying to point out to her and to many other people you know that Nine times out of 10, the things that you're experiencing negative because of sex work are due to the stigma and it has nothing to do with your actual experience and not saying that your whole experience had to be perfect. I mean, I had, you know, shitty experiences in porn. I had like directors take advantage of me. I had things happen, but you know, I'm able to understand that that was this person, that company, this experience, not the entire thing of sex work because I also had these positive experiences. But you just want to say, "Oh, all these bad things I'm experiencing are direct result of the industry," when most of them aren't. And I really do empathize with it because there was a time period um, I was going through some shitty stuff in the business, and I was still, you know, trying to transition to, into DJing, but I was still shooting, and I really did have this kind of um, resentment for a while towards porn um, because I was constantly, you know, I was trying to prove myself I could do other things. And that was being constantly questioned because of porn, stigma. But at the same time, I was experiencing a really bad situation that I'm not allowed to talk about (laughs) in in the porn industry. (laughs) So I wasn't allowed, you know, so I was going through that. And so I was having this really negative experience in the business. And then I was having this really negative experience of stigma of being a porn star and I, I started to hate the industry, you know, like mm-hmm. I was like, I, I, and so I do empathize so deeply with these girls because I was there, but I also was aware enough to say like, okay, this is not you, you know, this is not like, you're feeling this type of way because of these things that are happening. And once I was able to get out of that situation and somewhat resolve that, um, you know suddenly it was like okay this is huge weight lifted off my shoulders so and then suddenly i was able to look positively on the industry again but i do understand that if you had a bad experience in porn and you deal with the stigma those things basically you add them together and you're like these are the same but they're not mm-hmm. like this was one person that like did something bad to you or one experience and this is the stigma of society so what's the really the really harmful thing is the stigma and not saying that bad things can't happen to you in porn, but the industry itself isn't like some evil, like, overlord, like, hey, anyone who comes here, we will <laughs> take advantage I of them. Your soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's not what's happening. Like, it doesn't mean you can't have bad experiences, but really, what these people, and I've seen this with almost every single girl, and a lot of them, it's sadly, and I can speak from experience for this too, is in relationships, you know? Um, you know, I think a lot of girls, like, you get into porn, it's very exciting. Like, okay, suddenly, you know, I, like, for me, I had always been this tomboy, you know, kind of one of the guys, like, talking shit, you know, and now suddenly, I'm, like, the hot girl, you know, that, like, everyone's, like, and I was, like, oh, this is so cool. And that's really fun for a while. And then eventually, you're, like, maybe you meet someone that you really like, and you want to date them, and now you suddenly have to deal with with all the things that come along with dating and doing pornography, which is a lot. And I think even some of the most highly evolved men, it just, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, I dated a guy who was in the industry and there was even jealousy between us. And we were both doing the same job. So, you know, I don't think just because a guy's jealous or doesn't love it, I don't think that he's a bad person because of that. It is a difficult thing to deal with because of society. But I see so many girls that basically they're shamed by their boyfriend. And I mean, it could be their family or anything else. But I think for a lot of girls I've seen, it has been a significant other that's basically shamed them for their job. And it makes them, you know, you feel like you want love. And when that love is being denied you because of your past and because of this job that you did, it's very easy to just want to reject it so that you can get that love, you know? And it's just really sad how many times like, boyfriends like do that to girls in the industry you know basically shame them and I mean my ex boyfriend was like that he you know would break up with me when I was on set like crazy like I'm like I'm at work and he's just like oh my god I can't deal with the fact that you're on set like we need to break up you know I'm like what the fuck you know (laughs) and I was just like constantly shaming me for having done porn and the best learning experience for me was getting out of that relationship finding out that this guy had been married the entire time. We were in a serious relationship, serious relationship. And he was married. He and his, uh, me and his ex-wife have since chatted and we have basically figured out how everything went down. And, um, you know, so he was doing this stuff to her as well. And, you know, the whole time, every day he had a wife, he was fucking God knows who, how many other girls, you know, he was doing literally whatever he wanted. And But every day, shaming me for doing a job that he knew I was doing when we met, right? And that was a really good learning experience for me because I was like, I'm never going to let someone do this to me again. I will never let anyone make me feel guilty about what I've done because I know I feel good about it. And anyone who's trying to shame me is projecting their own shame that they have about the things they've done onto Mm -hmm. me. And I think I was very lucky in that, in that, I mean, it was a bad experience, but I came out of it stronger where I was like, I will never let anyone shame me for this again, because it had been proven that this person who was shaming me was projecting it, you know, but not everyone has that learning experience.
1: Yeah. So you have moved on. Well, I know you don't want to say you've officially retired, but for (laughs) now you're not shooting right now and you've really been doing a lot of DJing and I've listened to some of your music. I've watched you do some of your sets and you're, you're honestly, you're very good. I'm yeah. no expert on EDM or anything like that. <laughs> I assume is what you do. I'm sorry. I'm so old. I don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just assume all DJs are DJ EDM, but you can correct me. Um, I think Sasha had to do the same thing with me. Cause I was like, you make that electronic. Yeah. <laughs> But your stuff is great. So tell us a little bit about how you got into that and exactly what kind of music you do and maybe where people can find your music.
0: Uh, Well, you know, I actually like was doing music since I was a little kid. I grew up doing musical theater. Me and my best friend had like a little band and like since middle school, we would write songs and stuff. So I've always been like very involved in music. Um, But I think it was like in college when I first in, in the South, like where I went to college. EDM was like, not a thing, you know? Uh, No one listened to it. I mean, it was kind of getting its start in all of America, but definitely in the South, like no one was listening to that. And Mm -hmm. I had a few friends from like New Jersey, New York, and I went to one of their parties and they played like Skrillex song. And I was like, when dubstep was getting big, and I was just like, what the fuck is this? Like, I love it. It's, awesome like I want to listen to this all the time I want to just spend my life going to shows Um, so I got really into it into college and it's funny actually my nickname in college was DJ long before I ever actually was a DJ because uh, I just like was super into like finding all these cool like remixes and songs and I love to go to parties and be like oh I gotta show you guys this new song like like trap music is something that I still love to this day and like when trap was first starting to get big I mean before it had gotten big you know when it was kind of in its infancy I remember like going to parties and telling people like oh like trap music like this is the next wave it's gonna be so big you know and so I was like really into this stuff and going to festivals and all that was just like this crazy new experience for me as like a 20 21 year old Um, and then I had a neighbor in college who was a producer and DJ. And so my friend knew him and she introduced me and she's like, Oh my God, like you have to teach her how to DJ. So I would literally go to this guy's house and he would just like teach me like some production stuff, some DJing. And it was like on the shittiest, like little mixer, like back in like, I don't know, 2012 or something, 2011, 2010, maybe. And, um, just kind of like learn from him. And, uh, so it was just kind of like a fun hobby that I like to do. Um, but you know, I didn't necessarily see myself like doing anything professional with it. But when I got, when I first started kind of, that's one reason why I was interested in like Sasha Gray and Jesse Andrews. Cause they had both done porn and then done DJing. And I was like, Oh my God, like I would love to do that. You know? So I kind of like, was like I think I can use this as like a way to get into music. So that's kind of like, porn was always kind of, like, a stepping stone for me. I mean, like, it was its own, like, individual amazing experience. But, you know, it was always kind of, like, with the thought process that I would get into the music industry afterward. And one reason, like, the EDM community is very open-minded to sex workers. You know, it's uh, the mainstream side of it, super, super mainstream, maybe not so much. But I think that, like, I don't know, so many DJs, like, porn girls and you know there's just like a lot of crossover as far as like the social side of it of people hanging out and so because of that it's just a very like if I go into a certain industries they'd be like what are you doing here like you're a porn star like they've never you know but in the in the electronic like dance community like they're used to like they all everyone has a porn star friend they all you know so it's just a lot less like you're weird and out there and you're a lot more easily accepted. Um, so I think that's one reason probably why a lot of people kind of transition from foreign into that because it's just an industry that's very accepting. Um, but yeah, I just started like just DJing at first and then I kind of got to a point where I was like, I think I need to like make music to really do more and, um, And honestly, I'm still figuring out what the fuck kind of music I make. I don't know. If you've listened to some of my stuff, it's, like, all over the place. Like, I have an EP that's very, like, vibey. Like, I sang on it. It's, like, all these, like, breakup songs about, like, ex-boyfriends. And then I have some really, like, more hard bass-type music. Um, So I'm still kind of figuring out what I want to do. But uh, one thing I realized that I really love doing is um, open format DJing, which is, like, for clubs you know? So you can play a festival and play all these like bangers and, you know, your own music. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. And I didn't think that like playing a club was like maybe lame, you know, it wasn't as cool. But over the years, I've learned like that's I love doing that. I can see see myself doing that till I'm like 70. You know, like I want to be like a 70 year old woman with like my little white hair, like DJing at like fucking on, you know, <laughs> like, I love that. Like, it's just so cool. And, you know, it's, it's cool to play a festival and you know, this, it's all fancy and everything like that. But playing at clubs is really, you know, playing at a festival is more about showcasing your work, right? Here's my music and like this, I'm an artist and this is like, you're creating a show and playing a club is more about, how can I get these people in this room to vibe, to move? Like you want everyone, you want people buying bottles. You want people standing on the table, singing along. You want people Mm -hmm. to go home and be like, that night was fantastic. I had the best time. And that's really your job as a DJ, as as an open format DJ. And I've found that I really, really love that. And I think it's really where my talent lies, you know? Um although I do like to make music, I don't think I'm like a savant or like anything like I don't know if I'm going to like make the next like classic song people are li- listening to 50 years from now. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's really my vibe, but I I love to basically connect with people and help everyone have like an awesome time, you know.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and where can people find where can people go and like find your music?
0: um spotify Cruz, soundcloud most everything's on spotify but i have some remixes and stuff that are on soundcloud oh my audius Audius audius.co is a new app and all my mixes are up there that got taken down off other places um so i have all my mixes and remixes up there you can pretty much find everything on my audius so i would definitely direct you there
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carter, for coming on. This was a really uh, this is a really cool conversation, and I loved everything that you said about the stigma around porn and about people's experiences and learning from your experiences. I thought it was like a really mature way to look at all of that, and um, you know, that there's something to be said to you know acknowledge that people are definitely victims of certain situations. There's a difference between like having been a victim of being in a situation and then falling into victim mode and constantly playing victim forever and not like, that's never going to move you forward. Right. You know, um, there's a lot, there's power in taking responsibility for your actions mm-hmm. and the things that happen in your life.
0: hundred percent.
1: And I think that that's, I think as women, we benefit from that.
0: I think so. we do. And I think people respect it. I will say like, I think, You know, whenever I see these girls kind of playing the victim mode, because it does, it gets the mainstream press, they eat it up. But I'm always like, I think most people, like, they, people think it's so cool when you're just like, yeah, I did porn, and like, whatever, it's not a big deal. Yeah, People really fuck with that, and like, I, I think there is value in that, and I think people really do respect that a lot more than you think, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you again for coming on. Thank it was a Bradley. pleasure. Can you tell everybody where they can find you online?
0: I'm like, which camera do I look at this one? This one? <laughs> um, you, can, uh, um, you can find me literally everywhere uh, as Carter Cruz. Carter, like the president. Cruz, like cruise ship. But Carter, like the president, doesn't really work anymore because Jimmy Carter was so long ago. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Nobody remembers who Jimmy Carter is anymore. I
0: know. I feel like seven years ago it was like everyone's like, okay, I know what you're referencing. <laughs> but now everyone's like, What? <laughs> um, cruise like cruise ship though. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, um, freaking I have a website, cruisecult.com. I got blogs up there with all my dumbass thoughts and all my music and merch, cool ass t shirts. I just released some new ones, so yeah carter Cruz on everything pretty much fantastic
1: and you guys can follow me at holly randall on twitter and on instagram and as always support this podcast through patreon.com slash holly randall unfiltered where you can get early access to all of my interviews plus merch plus my bonus uh podcast my la porn life and tons of other stuff also, if you want to support my art book, um, you can go to Patreon.com/slash Holly Randall Art. I recently just started shooting for it again. I've actually started shooting on film, which has been really fun. So go check that out. And um, thank you so much for listening, Tommy. Sit your fucking ass down with your. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm going to kill this dog. Sit, sit, sit.
0: I feel like people love this stuff though because it's like very like real. You know, it's like it's oh, like your dog's real. like in your way and you shit. Can, like, it's like fucking <laughs> tap it
1: and like. And I know it's picking up on the sound, makes me nuts. So like anal about you know like perfect quality, but it's so hard to do at home. Anyways, I'm sorry, guys. I got dogs. What are you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Also join my Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Holly Randall unfiltered. And you can watch the video versions of these interviews at youtube.com slash Holly Randall unfiltered. Oh, and of course, sign up for my newsletter at hollyrandallunfiltered.com and get all the info on upcoming guests and special projects. Again, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for supporting my podcast in whatever way that you can next week on the podcast. Do not miss this amazing interview with one of the most popular male performers in the world. In fact, he's been contracted with browsers for well over a decade, and he's the only guy I know who's had his penis insured for a million dollars. Yes, I am talking about Kieran Lee, and you do not want to miss this hilarious and also very insightful episode. So come back next week for Kieran Lee on Holly Randall Unfiltered.